Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the What's Next podcast with Dave and Blair. Blair, how are you today? I am excellent. Good to see you. And you've brought a friend, which is exciting. We have an in-house studio guest with no applause track. No. Well, hey, <laughs> Stephen Mackey, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen Mackey of Two Words is here to join us today. And you guys are going to really enjoy getting to know this guy. He is an amazing person. He's an amazing father. He's a great business owner. And so everything that we stand for as far as work-life balance and how to do things the right way, this guy is that guy. Well, he makes a living motivating people. So I suspect that this will be a great podcast. So you would think he'd have positivity yeah. and energy. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> pegged on both. Yeah. Steven, welcome. Thanks, guys. Glad to be with you and excited to be in the garage studio weight room office yeah it's, it's a lot of things meditation <laughs> space over there a, a full bar you know it's uh, it's got everything you, you could every, ever want every corner of life covered. Right. That's exactly spiritual right. and otherwise yeah well steven and i met in august of 2018 and everybody knows i'm a little bit anal but about this it was august the second obviously but so <laughs> obviously. he had uh at a starbucks yeah across from eaton high school that's exactly right and we thought it was going to be a get-together, talk about life insurance for about 15 minutes, sign some documents, and go on down the road. And he called his wife two different times to apologize for being late because we sat there about three hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I also have that problem when I'm with Dave. And um, uh, eventually that wears on your wife's nerves, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, she is much more patient. Then uh, she's a, she's got an extra measure of patience. Well, married to the me. more we talked and the more we traded business ideas and family ideas and where we were from. And he's a, he's a sweet, clean Aggie like we are. And so it was just very, very cool. And we've built a great relationship. And Stephen, I wanted to start out with just kind of tell us from kindergarten to how you got to A&M. Give us just a kind of a brief summary of how that how that went through. Yeah. So grew up in Bryan, Texas. And so was around A&M quite a bit, but the goal for me was always to get to college. I was the first in my family to graduate from college with a four-year degree. Nobody had done that before, but I wasn't sure how I was going to get there. And like most kids growing up in Texas, I thought, well, football will be my ticket. That'll be the way. And so from and for uh, those of you that can't see Stephen Mackey he's a, he's a man of size like I mean <laughs> football's not out of the question <laughs> right and so seventh grade rolls in and that's the year when football really begins this was when it was a time that before seventh grade you just did flag football right there's another peewee nonsense that you have today and so the first day of seventh grade I step onto the field biggest strongest kid at Sam Rayburn Middle School clicked up strapped up ready to go neck roll hip pads old school oh dude. gotta gotta neck lace roll. the yeah. you gotta you gotta have a Boy Scout nodding badge yeah to, to lace the, the belt all the way through Nike Land Sharks black on white right <laughs> I was out there JJ Swatton folks for JJ Watt was JJ Swatton I was absolutely dominating and I knew but beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this was going to not only be my path to the goal of college and beyond, but it was going to be my path to having Diana Davis and Lisa Gorisky know that I existed. <laughs> right. Uh, right. <laughs> that if I was going to be good at football, the ladies w would notice me. Now, see, uh, if you weighed 121 pounds, you'd be just like yeah. me and Blair in seventh grade. But we also had a Diana that we were trying <laughs> yeah. to get attention yeah. from. Yeah, so a uh, similarity there. That's it. And so everything was really going to, to plan until I got to the end of practice uh, and my coach blew his whistle and said four words that would ruin my life. He blew his whistle and said, get on the line. It's time to run sprints. 
Uh, now, Blair, you look like the kind of guy that can do some CrossFit, can run some sprints. Um, but I can assure you that though I was big, I was not the paragon of bearded masculinity that I am today. I was what the department stores called a husky. <laughs> uh, I was big bonded. Uh, I had an af- Afro flat top, looked like Will Smith, Circle Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was not exactly aerodynamic. And so uh, when my coach said, let's run sprints, I thought, man, coach, you must be mistaken. Like cross country, they run sprints. Mm-hmm. And in football, we smash heads. And so um, needless to say, long story short, he gave me an ultimatum. He said, you can run sprints uh, or take your helmet off and quit. And so that day in seventh grade, I I took my helmet off and quit. I stepped off the field and stepped into the worst year of my life uh, where I have no direction, no purpose, no meaning. Uh, Where'd be a lot of nights I'd stay up watching a ceiling fan go around and around. and think there's got to be more to life than this. And over that year, um, as I just struggled through middle school's tough for everyone sure but as I struggled through that I got to the end of that year and I had a coach that one day called me out in a way that I couldn't get past and he called me out he said you the biggest kid in school wants you to play football and I started giving him excuses and he responded to my excuses with a second chance and he taught me what to do with the second chance so I had to do the same thing on the second time that I did on the first um, and what came out of that second chance was a sense that there could be purpose beyond the game that athletics could be a laboratory or a classroom in which I could learn long shelf life skill sets, things like integrity and attitude and effort, uh, work ethic, commitment, discipline, uh, attention to detail. And that if I could get it in the athletics then I could get it in the classroom, if I get there, I could get in the hallway, if I get there, I could get the house, I get the house, I could get it anywhere. And so as I begin to come into my own in that second chance, uh, it was as if everything switched for me. There was a moment when spiritually I began to take my faith in my own. Um, It was a moment where I began to have confidence in myself. All of those things came together. And what ended up coming about is through high school, I found myself a leader. I found myself with influence, found myself successful on the field. Uh, And and that led me to an opportunity um, to get to play football at the United States Air Force Academy, their preparatory school, Uh, graduated from there, and then ended up um, transferring from there to University of Houston, played a season there. I found out that I was an average to below average defensive (laughs) lineman, not quite as good as mama said I was, and uh, ended up uh, transferring into um, Blender Garden and then into Texas A&M and uh, and got got my bachelor's there. But all of that, I say it because – not only was it formative in those formative years, but it would lay the foundation, the influence of a coach, would lay the foundation for the work that I would do, that I've done now for the rest of of my life. Um, And so as I look back on that and go, how did I get here? Um, You know, it takes a village to raise a child. I was born to a teenage mother. Mom was 16 years old when she had me biracial. My mother was white, my father was black. It takes a village to raise a child. And I look and I see the sacrifices of my family, my grandparents choosing to raise me as their own. I see the sacrifices of my educators, third grade teacher, Mrs. Sheffield, uh, counselors, Mrs. Brooks, coaches, Coach Criswell and Coach Jones and Davis and McMath and so many others. There were so many people all along the way that played an influential role in helping me become who God created me to be, to be the fullness could have been a, a muted version of who God created me to be were it not for those people. Uh, 
And that, I think, as much as anything, has been formative in the business and the work that we do, but really even in the why that we do it. And then in the kind of people that I find myself associating with, uh, finding myself when, I, when somebody, I say, they're an OKG, um, or they're, they're my kind of guy, uh, our kind of guy. Well, there's somebody that recognizes that the work that they do in insurance or in finance or in anything else, uh, that it's a means to an end. And that end is not selfish, um, but actually that end is selfless. They would give themselves away. Uh, that, that, for me, started early. Do you still maintain a relationship with that coach? Have you I do. Um, I sure kept do. in touch? Yep. So uh, Coach Marty Criswell was the head football coach and athletic director. And so really uh, the culture of this coaching staff from the high school on down to the middle school flowed from him. And in high school, there was, there was none more influential. Um, and that middle school coach, his name was Coach Jones, all these years later, that was 1997, 1998. I mean, y'all were probably, uh, you know, 30 by then. But I, I was in <laughs> Thanks for noticing. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. And, uh, and so uh, he is still coaching middle school athletics at the same in the same district um, and he's still getting after it and what's fun is is he now uses our two words character development curriculum with his middle school students that is awesome. he's like, uh, i broke you but then <laughs> someone else put you together yeah, brought it. you back yeah, yeah, now see it. i had a very similar conversation with coach mccabe when i was in the ninth grade and i was going to be a pole vaulter and he saw me running down the the runway and as i hit the mat he pulled me over and he spit little beech nut out and said, Baloo, you better be good in math because <laughs> this ain't working out, buddy. <laughs> you know, sometimes the kindest thing you can do for somebody is tell them the truth. Yeah. So he said, yeah. so his advice was, if you're going to go to Texas A&M, you better study. <laughs> well, solid advice yeah, for, for our, uh, our 151 pound middle linebacker at Abilene High, <laughs> David Baloo. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you got to have you got to have somebody that that'll tell you the truth. Sure, sure. And and it takes courage to tell it. it takes courage to receive it. And and I think in a lot of ways we have a deficiency in in that courage. Uh, and so it's one of the reasons I appreciate coaches so much. Pe- people are not comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. No, they're not. And 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 so I was I was driving into Paladero Canyon. I was driving the big rig. 44-foot fifth wheel, 21,000 pounds on the back of the F-350 dually. And as we're coming down, everybody talks about, and you guys may know this, the big steep grade going into Paladero, 10% grade. And everybody was talking, man, you're going to drive that big fifth wheel down that thing. How are you going to do it? You better be careful. The forums, they were going crazy. RVers, I knew. So I got kind of concerned, not in a worried, fearful way, but in a I want to take this serious kind of way. My whole world is, is, is in this truck. And so uh, as I'm coming in, I think the park ranger didn't say anything. She called my rig a monstrosity, but it was a compliment. <laughs> and so uh, I thought, okay, well, I, I, guess, I, I guess she has great confidence in the beard and my ability to drive this thing because <laughs> she didn't say anything about the grade. And so, uh, so I, take, I take that American-made Ford, and we start going down the hill. And, and my son, he's eight. He's riding shotgun right next to me. And uh, I roll down the window so we can hear the engine you know, as the exhaust brakes kicks in, it revs up and it's just controlling. We're going down just like a boss. And I go, you hear those horses barking, boy? And he goes, dad, horses don't bark. I said, these bark, these horses do. You know, and I'm coming down. I'm going, this is the real deal. There ain't no phony in this macaroni. You know, I'm just getting after it, boy. We're having a big time about it and, uh, and laughing. But as I thought about that moment, I go, you know, I want to be the real deal for my bride, for my kids, 
but why don't I? It's, it's scary to be real. Yeah. It's scary to deal not with a half truth, but the whole truth. People don't know how to handle it. They, they don't. Because you know, what happens when uh, you know that you've not done something quite well enough? You're afraid of what someone might think when you tell them the truth. So instead, you, you, you speak something that's true enough to make you look a little bit better. Like we have to market ourselves because the real us isn't good enough. And there, there's just, and this is as true for the 14 year old as it is for the 44 year old. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to make business sound a little bit better so that people think that I'm somebody because my somebodyness isn't really, isn't good enough. I'm going, no, I, I want to surround myself with people that'll speak the whole truth and are comfortable enough with who they really are. Because if, if you can't deal in truth, then you can't really move forward. You, you're, you're starting at, the, at a false spot, so your directions aren't going to get you where you want to go. That's right. That's exactly right. And if you think he's all gruff and rough with his son, he usually is. But we met for a hamburger down in Deep Ellum, and as we're leaving, he's like, okay, see you later. And they both jumped on a scooter and took off. And I was like... <laughs> He's not all. He's not uh, all meat and potatoes. He doesn't have to have all the horses uh, barking. That's exactly right. That was the most cool thing I've ever seen. Yeah, we he uh, he saw he saw you know the little scooters you can you can do the app and you, right right through downtown and uh, and it was a big day because he got to come downtown with me and and uh, he saw I said Dad can we get on one of those I said, man let's giddy up and go so we're having lunch and he doesn't say boo you know he's asking a few questions kind of looking around. We fill them full of a few snacks here and there. And then when it's time to go, it's time to go. Let's get on the scooter. That's it. And, and you know what's fun is, is uh, I, I get to go to A&M games because you give me tickets uh, most years this year uh, withstanding. With Thanks, COVID. And, uh, and we – because I, I don't go often, uh, I hadn't quite figured out the parking thing. Right. And so I ended up parking on maybe the furthest, absolute furthest side of Reed Arena as possible. And so I've got – at the time, he was seven, five, and just turned two, and myself, and we're going to the Aggie game, right? My bride's at home with the baby. She's, she, went to, she went to Texas. She's like, you're, you're, you're nuts. I don't know why you want to take the kids to the game. Right. I don't know why you're trying to indoctrinate them, which is awesome because it three works. of the four that speak are all in on A&M, like <laughs> almost combatively. I told you the seats work every time. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> and so we're, we're marching and we're walking down and all the tailgate. And I look around, I see the guys on the little bikes with the little buggies. And I'm, I'm like, yep, flag them down. <laughs> so all four of us hop in and the guy, he is humping it, just getting it. And all the tailgaters are looking, they're giving us the thumb. It was, it was great. I'm, I'm not afraid to hop on a ride, no. save a few steps. This is how much he loves his kid more than you and I do. He holds one of his kids for the whole first half. They usually make it to the third quarter yep. in his arm. I was like, we're, you and I couldn't do that? No way. Well, I don't, I don't, we have, don't the, have the patience. I don't have the fortitude. <laughs> yeah. We waited till they could have their own seat. And, yeah. and, and Morgan was pretty squirmy as a kid, too. There's no doubt about it. So I get this picture. Of course, I'm watching it on TV, and I see him standing there. They scan the crowd, and I see him. And he's got one in his arm, and he's petting the other one, and they're having a great time. Uh, and, and, and my daughter, Jane, she, uh, she's her father's child. 
they were playing UTSA at this last game, and there were some uh, UTSA guys behind us. And every time they would make a tackle or they would score, she would shout, boo, UTSA, <laughs> you know, boo the road. And to this day, when she, we drive through San Antonio, she sees you say, boo the roadrunners. <laughs> yeah, it's in there. They have a game every year for the rest of their life. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, when I had um, – we were, we were living in Texas. Um, we were members of the Lifetime Fitness in Colleyville. I remember that. So – I think this probably puts Morgan somewhere around the age of six, seven, something like that. I pull up and there's, uh, you know, you see the parking spot, right? And you get excited, like, ooh, a good parking spot. And as you pull in, there's a small car there. And you're like, oh, dang it. So you lock on the brace, you start to back up. And on the back of that small car had a Texas Tech sticker. <sighs> and my uh, seven-year-old daughter from the back seat, she goes, oh, Texas Tech. I'd rather have a swarm of bees around my head. <laughs> uh, smart, smart, smart kid. Yeah, smart kid, yeah. Of course, he wants to be a USC Trojan, so that's going to be considerably more expensive. Well, let's hope that he is, uh, in fact, a smart kid then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, so talk a little bit about where you went when you got done with the greatness of Texas a That's it. So from, from that formative year, that seventh to eighth grade year, got the second chance. I told you my faith started to become my own, build confidence, a sense of purpose. At that same time, I felt a call to ministry. Um, and, and it sounds odd to say that as a middle schooler that I could feel a very deep sense of peace and clarity about a call to ministry, but that's exactly what happened. And so coming out of AM, I moved to Blanco, Texas, the booming metropolis mm. that is, and got to start a ministry called Young Life. And was a part of the team of folks that started ministry there. And for the next four years, did ministry in Blanco. Met my, met my bride while I was there. She did Young Life ministry in a town called Bernie. And we went to, ta- went to church in a little town right in between. And so These are all small central Texas towns. Th- that's right. Yeah, uh, Blanco probably best known for Fireman's Number 4 beer. Well, there, there is the, uh, the, uh, the breweries there. It wasn't quite as prominent. No, then, not back then. No. As it is today. But, uh, but yes, and so I did ministry there. We met, got married, had our first kid, and at that time started feeling, you know, I really need to increase my theological depth uh, because the thing about having influence or having voice over someone is that those that you speak into don't always have the same nuance as you do. Uh, and so when you are considered an expert, someone just says, well, Mackie said or the preacher said, or Dave said, or Blair said, and they just don't really think about it much past that because they go, that's the exchange. You're the professional. I came to you for an opinion, and so I'm going to take that as gospel truth. And before that time, I, I don't think I quite gave enough credit. To, I just assumed that people thought for themselves or that there was nuance uh, you know, or that they could parse through different things. And, and I'm not calling people stupid, but what I'm saying is that, and I do it the same way, that when David says it, I kind of just don't question it. Yeah, I, I was really surprised by that during my short time in ministry that people I had known for years and years and years who never confided anything in me, suddenly they were confiding things in me. It's right. like, oh, well, Blair must know. He's right. going to seminary. Exactly. And so I, I said, you know what, I, if I'm going to speak into the lives of these young people, I need to have a deeper uh, foundation. So ended up in Houston, went to Fuller Theological Seminary, got my master's of divinity. And during that time, I started traveling and speaking. 
And over the next couple of years, we kind of balanced across Texas as I worked with different organizations and churches. And all of the while, in Blanco and, and across in Kaufman, Texas, uh, I began to do work with athletes and serve as a character development, player development coach, and had a, a simple idea that I wanted to help them connect the dots between sports and life, just like my coach had done for me. And as I began to do that, I found that that was the work that, number one, brought me the most life, that I could do that all day, every day, and somehow at the end of the week be more energized. I didn't get drained from working hard at that. Uh, it brought life. The more challenging it was, the, the better I became at it. Right. And then number two, it was the thing that people were most attracted to, uh, that more than sermons, more than my wisdom opinions or whatever, they wanted to hear that. Uh, and so... In January 2017, a friend of mine said, man, I think you can make a living doing that. And I said, James, I give seven-minute talks before football games. You don't make a living doing that. Right. And he gave me the best pieces of advice. He said, don't start with no, start with yes. If you knew it could be done, what would you do? I said, well, if I knew it could be done, I would do this, 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 and this. And he said, great, you got a plan, now go do it. And so being, uh, being a, a Texan through and through, go big or go big, I said, okay. And on Monday went in and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm quitting my job and I'm doing this. And, and my pastor said, whoa, 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 let's, let's slow. I think you're onto something, but let's, let's slow play this. Uh, my bride, she was, she was, she was get from the word go, uh, to her credit. And, and over the next several months just began to have meetings with coaches because what, what came out of that was the two words character development curriculum which is a, a weekly done-for-you character development program for athletic departments, specifically for secondary athletic departments. And has several different uh, videos, workbooks, lessons, coaches, captains, athletes, and parents. And as I begin to meet with coaches to get feedback, they would ask a question like, well, does your curriculum have this? And I said, you know what, coach, as a matter of fact, it does. And then I would write down, add whatever he just said. <laughs> he <laughs> You guys are, uh, all these coaches are in charge of your uh, product development. That's right. They're, they're research product development, and they are to this day. And, and so as we began, I was a nobody from nowhere. I had no credibility. I knew a handful of coaches. But I had a deep sense that the, the coaching and the athletes need at this time and my skill set, were an inter, they were an intersection um, you know, Howard Thurman talks about find the place where the world's needs and your, and your passions intersect and go be there. Uh, because that's what, what the world needs is people who will live in that, in that place. And so I had a deep conviction that that was, that that was the intersection. So we began to do the work. My goal was 30 schools. And I thought if I had 30 schools, uh, then I could do this. I could preach on Sundays and we'll be good to go. Um, and very quickly we began to see there was a much bigger need sure. than, than we had any idea. And over the, over the following four years, January of 17 to where we are today in September of 2020, we've gone from idea uh, to serving over 30% of the state of Texas, um, something like 400,000 athletes every week. So we're, uh, at, we're at Starbucks and we're talking about all this stuff and he's going into what he does and how he's doing it. And I said, Mackie, coaches move every year. I said, the head coach doesn't move every year. I said, but the defensive coordinator becomes a head coach. The offensive coordinator becomes – I go, 
your business is going to grow like wildflower. I said, you need to get ready and gear up. And that's exactly what happened. Yep. And so it's been, you I know, said, it's, you're infectious. Yeah. It's, it's been, you know, we view ourselves, I view myself as an advocate for coaches and for athletes and, and to, you know, motivate is the easiest way to talk about what I do. Um, but that's, that's like saying, you know, Dave, you, you do car insurance. It's, it's a simple thing for people to grab onto, but it's really just the very, very edge, the tail end of what you do. What you do is you provide peace of mind. What you do is you provide someone who is there in life's craziest moments to be a sure anchor. You do so much more than car insurance. Um, and what, what I do is so much more than motivation. Right. Um, but it is, it is helping young people develop an ethos um, a this is who I am this students are searching three big questions not just students we all ask these but students ask who am I who are my people and what is my purpose and I think at its deepest level what I'm able to do is help coaches help students answer those questions through the classroom of athletics kind of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Athletics gives them a context to wrestle with these questions, but then it doesn't stop when the scoreboard clicks zero. Now the answers and the skill sets that they learn and the context they can carry on for the rest of their lives. Okay. Well, that was a heck of a part one with Stephen Mackey of Two Words. We are going to continue this conversation next week. I hope you got a lot out of it. I know Dave and I did. And we will see you guys next week on the What's Next podcast with your friends, Dave and Blair.